The title of her biographical memoir is In Order to Live. Yunmi Park writes about the details of her journey of escape from communist North Korea. It was her desire and search for freedom ever since she was a child. On the night, she writes, that her and her mother sought to be smuggled out of North Korea to get over the border into China, she said this, I wasn't dreaming of freedom when I escaped North Korea. I didn't even know what it meant to be free. All I knew was that my family, if they stayed here any longer, would probably die. Die from starvation or from disease or from human in, inhuman conditions in the prison labor camps. She says, the hunger had become unbearable. I was willing to risk my life for the promise of a bowl of rice. Later on, she writes, I came across a famous line by the author Joan Didion, who wrote, We tell ourselves stories in order to live. I felt the truth, she says, of those words echoing inside me. I understand that sometimes the only way that you can survive our own memories is to shape them into a story that makes sense out of events that seem inexplicable. She ends her prologue of the book by saying this, This is my story of the choices that I have made in order to live. Perhaps you're here this morning, and deep down you too have an unexpressed desire for freedom. It's not the freedom of escaping communist oppression, but it's just as real for you as it was for her. But you know in your heart it's a deeper, deeper or different kind of freedom a different kind of tyranny. You wouldn't call it this, but it is. And maybe you're becoming more convinced of it all the time. It's a tyranny of the soul. And normally you wouldn't say that, but you look at your circumstances and more and more as days pass, you're starting to believe that that's really what it is. That was what it was for Yunmi Park. Starvation, disease, prison camps, hunger that was unbearable. See, that is what she faced. It brought her to the place that she says... She was so desperate, she risked her life. She would have for just a bowl of rice. Have you ever felt that desperate for freedom? Have you ever felt that that's what it would take for you in order to live? Now, see, your situation is different than Miss Parks. This, you're seeking freedom this morning from something far different. For some, it's the anger that continues to destroy your marriage or relationships or just about everyone you know and, you, and the relationship you have with them. For others, it's freedom from the constant depression or anxiety about the things going on or not going on in your life. It's buying things, constantly buying things to prove that this is truly your identity and let everybody know, see, this is who I am. I've made it in life. For some, it's freedom from sexual immorality because deep down, most of all, you just want to feel loved. You want to be needed and you want to get rid of the empty loneliness. Oh, see, it's the accomplishments for others. You know that it's not really all that you're about, but see, the, the enslavement of another degree Another accomplishment, another promotion. See, you would say this morning, and you'd probably change it a little bit, I would be willing to risk my life for the promise of, and it wouldn't be a bowl of rice, 
but maybe a bowl of peace, maybe a bowl of love. And you say, it's not unbearable hunger, Pastor Walker, that I face. It's unbearable emptiness, unbearable guilt, unbearable dissatisfaction with just about everything in my life. See what she says? Only way, the only way to survive our memories is to shape them into a story that makes sense of the inexplicable events. I'm here to tell you this morning, based on the word of God, that God has a story. And that story will not just explain to you all the inexplicable events in your life, but ones, every single event in your life that you've ever faced. She says this at the end, this is my story and the choices I've made in order to live. Every single person here today, see, you had a life of making choices that you thought would bring you the life that you're looking for. We've all done that. But the question is this, have they given you the life that you're looking for? Had they given you the life that you were designed for? You see, the gospel is this, it's another story. It's a story that also offers life eternal life. It's another choice that you can make in order to live, in order to have life. And that's why we're here this morning. And I'd like to introduce you to that story, that story of freedom for all those who are desperate or aren't desperate yet, but will be. You might even say, Pastor Walker, what are you talking about, freedom? And you might echo her words, I don't even know what freedom is. Well, if you haven't, God's word can tell you all about it today. In our text this morning, the Apostle John is going to do this. He's going to explain the one and only choice that you can make to truly have life in order to live. And so we're going to unpack two critical features of God's story that will help you make the right choice, the eternal choice, in order to have real life. First one is this. God's story of eternal life is simply true. Now, verses 5, verses 6, 7, 8, and 9. We're going to look at those in a minute, but let me give you some, lay some groundwork. God's story of eternal life is true. I can't not develop that fact today that God's word about eternal life is true because it's absolutely, absolutely essential in the day in which we live. Big word. I'm going to philosophize for a moment. Stay with me. Postmodernism. Here's what it says. Since everyone approaches the external world with a preconceived interpretive framework. And that's big, hairy words to say this. We all come to this world, and you know how we look at it? We look at it through the things that we have come to believe on our own. And it goes on to say in the definition, developed from an inherited biology. That means, hey, we have our own ideas, and we got the ones that we have from our parents, our inherited biology, our family, and the biases of our social environment. So we look to ourselves, we see our, our family, we learn things from them, and then we look at the culture, and here's the conclusion. The individual perspective is really all that exists. In other words, listen, there is no universal truth. There is no truth with a capital T, no absolute truth that we can know. We can only know what the truth is, little t, what the truth is for ourselves. And this leads to two views. Arbitrary relativism, which means this, hear me, truth is dependent on the individual person. And hopeless skepticism, which means this, you can't even find truth because it doesn't exist. Charles Taylor calls this the rise of the imminent frame. And here's what it means. Think of it as a house. It used to be in America, in most cultures, 
that there were two stories to a house. The one was, right, the bottom where we lived and the top where God was. And those two frames interacted with one another. But Charles Taylor says this, that we have gotten rid of the second floor. And now the only frame is the imminent one. The one about the material world in which we see. It's the only one that we function on. And we see everything in life through it. And as a result, there is no transcendent frame. There is no longer a design, purpose, and meaning in life. So what? Listen to me. That's why we now have truth that is based on you. Because it is no longer based on God. See, today you can be spiritual without God. You don't need to come to a place like the church, and you don't need the Bible, and you don't need to hear from him. You can decide what's truth for you. Have you never been told that when you talk to someone about God, that's great, I'm glad it works for you? See, the main phrase today is, you do you. And the result of that is designer bodies. And now we decide whether we're girls or boys. We decide what is right and wrong. We decide what is good and bad. And you think that's just a theory out there that everyone else around us is doing, but it really doesn't touch home. I read a recent article about a small group leader and a girls group in a church. And the leader of the group was having a conversation with a teenage girl in her group, a high schooler. And she was confronting the girl about multiple guys that she was sleeping with. And she said to the girl, how do you even go out with those sort of guys? They are clearly no good. And the girl snapped back and said this, you have no right to say whether they're good or bad or whether I should hang out with them or not. I am doing what I feel is right. That's what has become of truth. See, it's no longer surprising in our culture, is it, that the student has inhaled the air of postmodernism and has exhaled its values, meaning there are no values unless I say so. Truth is how I decide it to be. There aren't good guys and bad guys. There isn't morality with sex or not immorality. It's whatever I want it to be. See, our culture today is filled with narratives, little stories that we hear and share every day, and they are telling us about the choices that we should make in order to live. See, when we watch a car commercial, and there are droves of them, we are not simply told anymore, like when I grew up, oh, this car gets the best gas mileage. You ever seen that ever lately? This car is going to last for so many years. You don't see that anymore. You know what you get? You get pictorial stories that if you get this car, you will have the good life. See, you'll have comfort and you will have prestige and you will have confidence because this car will make you into a certain kind of person. See, when we listen to songs in our culture today on Spotify, we hear stories that promise joy through the kingdom of romance because if you get that guy and you have that relationship then you'll be set and you'll really be living. Our modern stories spread all across. Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu, and all they are doing is aiming at our hearts and trying to convince us of the false gods of money, sex, and power. See, these are rival stories to the truth. Remember what she said? We all tell ourselves stories. 
in order to live. Let me ask you, what's the story that you've been telling yourself this morning? What's the story that you're telling yourself about what you need in order to live? Oh, if I could just have this guy, this relationship, if I could drive this car, live in that house, have this, do this, go here. What's the story you're telling yourself in order to live? Will it give you real life? Will it give you eternal life? See, the world stories, can I say it? It's their lies. At best, at times, half-truths. And they cannot ever give you and promise you the story. They can't come through the promises of what you think that they're going to offer you in the end. You know how I know? Because the pleasures never last. That's why you need another boyfriend and another drink and another pill and another degree behind your name and another day on social media just to see how well you're liked. In contrast, in contrast to all of that, we have verses 6 through 9. And the word witness and testimony, which are interchangeable because they're from the same Greek word, are used eight times in the brief paragraph or so that we're in. It's like you're in a courtroom scene and you're standing before the judge and you're trying to give evidence to the truth that you're witnessing to. And here's what the Bible says. The truth of God's word, the truth about eternal life, the truth that he has promised us is true. You know how I know? Because the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the every single member of the Godhead has witnessed to this truth. Now, there's a lot of language in here that I won't take the time to develop today. There's so many different views on it about what the water and the blood and, and all of that stuff means. But I can tell you this. In Old Testament scripture, to verify whether a courtroom witness was true, you couldn't just bring one. It says multiple times. You have to have two or you have to have three. And here the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit fulfill the requirements in a courtroom scene about bringing evidence to verify the validity of something. And here it says, God says, I'm talking about eternal life, how you can really have not, not the bogus, superficial, phony things that the world offers you and the stories that go along with it. But God says, see, I'm offering real life. In fact, in verses 6 through 9, he says, the spirit itself is truth. And if you doubt that, he says, if you believe and receive the witness of men which I think in this text refers to the apostles, as great as they are and how they saw Jesus and spent time with him. And if you've received there, there's even a greater witness than the apostles who wrote the Bible, and that is God himself. So here's what he's saying. See, my son, he came through water. He was born into this world through his mother Mary. And he was born of blood, meaning he died on the cross. See, I verified that truth by sending my son who died in your place to give you life. Verse 10 says, though, if you reject that life, if you reject that that testimony is true, you commit a serious crime in that court. You make God a liar. Can I tell you the ramifications of that? See, God has come through his son to help uncover the lies, the false narratives of our world. He's come so that you can believe the truth about how you can really have life. And if you reject it, if you don't believe his testimony, you haven't just said, I disagree with God. You have forfeited life. See, maybe that's why you came this morning. 
I know maybe it was only an invitation to friend day, but maybe there was more behind it. Maybe you've come to the realization in your own life that the stories that you've been telling yourselves, they don't give life. They don't give half of what I thought that they would. See, so the first thing we need to know is God's story of eternal life is true. But there's a second truth. There's a second feature of God's story that John wants to point out to us. And that is God's story is not only true, it's transforming. See, verse 10 says this, Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. He knows what's true. He knows God's testimony is right. He has that inside of him, the Bible says. So when it comes to God's truth about eternal life, look at the text. There are only two categories of people, and every person under the sound of my voice this morning is in one of those two categories. Verse 10 and verse 12 are parallel statements. Let me show it to you. He says, if you believe in the Son of God, and then he says, if you have the Son of God, verse 12, because believing is having, and you are either believing, look at the verse, you believe in the Son of God, or you don't believe in the Son of God, verse 10. You either have the Son of God, verse 12, or you don't have the Son of God. You either have life, or you don't have life. There is no straddling of the fence. There is no middle ground. See, it's either or. And everyone in here this morning has heard this truth, and you have to decide for yourself. See, this morning, you are making choices in order to live. You are. Either you are believing or you're not. You're either having or you're not. And can I tell you, and it goes without saying, that there is no, eternal life has to be the most important decision or choice that you'll ever make. So what do you have to do to have it? Well, you have to believe. Remember what he says, verse 10? If you believe in the Son of God, if you believe in him, you have eternal life. Believing is accepting his witness. It's believing that Jesus came through water, was born as a baby, and also was born through blood or, or came through blood. See, when you have something, he says you will have eternal life. Having something does something for you, i.e., when you have money, it does something for you. What does it do? It buys stuff. When you have a phone, it does something for you. It helps you communicate with others and a myriad of other things anymore. Having a car... When you have a car, you get from one place to the other. That's what it does for you. But what does it mean when you have the Son? When you have the Son. See, when you have the Son, Jesus does something for you. You know what he does? The verse says it. Look at it. He gives eternal life. He gives it. Six times in John's epistle, from the beginning to end, verse 2, all the way to three times in chapter 5, and a number of times in between, He says, see, this is what I'm talking about, eternal life. And this life is in his son. Well, Pastor Walker, how can I know? I know you said God is true, but will he keep his promise? Titus chapter 1 verse 2 says this, in hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie, listen to that, who cannot lie, promised before time began. 1 John 2, 25, and this is the promise of eternal life. You might be here this morning, and you are very skeptical about anyone who promises you anything. 
Perhaps you've been in a marriage and it's been a trail of broken promises all the years that you were married. I promise this. I promise I'll never do that again. I promise. And you've, you've had all of that broken promises. You had a job. Or your boss says, oh, you just come on. You take this and we'll make you this and you'll be. And none of it ever came to pass. Friends promise things to you. But see, God's eternal life is different than anybody, anything the world offers because he keeps his promises, because he cannot lie. I have talked to different immigrants who have come to America, and all of them are seeking what? A better life. And they think that they can find a better life by just being in this country. And there's no doubt, we offer more than most. But I have found also that many of the people I've talked to are disappointed And they haven't found the life that they're looking for. Keller says this, The gospel does not promise you better life circumstances. It promises you a better life. If you come this morning and you say, Well, I'll believe in Jesus because maybe that'll change my circumstances. And maybe my marriage will get better. And maybe I'll have my financial problems solved. And maybe I won't have this anymore. Or maybe God will... See, that's not what he's saying. He's not promising you eternal, a better life circumstance. He's saying, if you want real life, I promise you real life that you'll never be disappointed in. But listen, if you believe in him, listen, you won't be the same. Someone has said this, God sees you as you are. He loves you as you are. He accepts you as you are, but he does not leave you as you are. Another use of eternal life in 1 John, in chapter 3 and verse 15, it says this, no murderer has eternal life. You know what that means? It's not that you kill someone, you can't go to heaven. No, it changes you. You can't stay what you were. If you were a murderer before, you won't be that person anymore because you have life. See, God's word is true. His story is true. Eternal life is true, and it's transforming You can't stay the same that you are. Well, Pastor Walker, maybe I want to stay. I want to go to heaven and stay. It's not what God has in life for you. I don't like the rules. I don't like the restrictions. I like freedom from those things. See, God offers you the right freedom, the right restrictions, the right limitations. If you believe in him, if you believe in him, you'll put your faith and trust in him How would I get that, Pastor Walker? I'll have to admit, I'll go so far this morning and say this. The life I have and the stories I'm telling myself, you're right, they aren't working. They're very disappointing at times. And I wonder where it's all heading and where it's all leading. How can I get this life? Can I tell you this? Eternal life, eternal life with God forever starts now and it's a gift. Do you hear what he says? That he will give you eternal life. Those who don't believe don't have eternal life because they reject the truth. And here's one of the ways, listen to me, two ways that we reject the truth and I'll be done. People who reject the lie that God offers in Jesus Christ through his death and resurrection, they say this, I can save myself. I don't really need God. And here's two ways they say it. Listen. Because they don't seem to match. The first person says, I'm too good to be saved. I'm too good to be saved. I don't need saving because nothing is missing in my life. 
Nothing is missing in my life. So they think that they're satisfied. They think that they have everything. They have the car. They have the house. They have the picket fence. They have the future for now. For now. But see, eternal life. But what about next week when the bottom drops out and you lose the house and they take the car and you don't have the job and your family's a turmoil. What if it's a year, a year from now, two years from now? Will you need it then? Will you need him then? But then on the other side, flip it over. There's some people, you know, they reject the truth of God. Here's why. Because they think that they're too bad. They both say the same thing. If you only knew what I have done. Now the good person will say, if you only knew what I've done, look at me. Why do you think I need saved? Look what I have done. But the person who thinks they're too bad, they also say, look what I've done. Look, look, look have you seen what I've, how I act, how I live, what I've done? I'm, too, I'm way too far out there. God could never save me. Both of those are self-salvation. Both of them. And Jesus came and said this, you believe in the Son. You believe in the Son. And it doesn't matter how good you think you are and it doesn't matter how bad you think you are. Life is only in the Son. Because eternal life is a gift and it is a person. Hear me, you don't get it by being better and reforming yourself and joining the Baptist church or the Catholic church or any other church for that. It's not about that. It's not about a program. It's not about a religion. It's about a person. It's about Jesus. He alone has life. That's why he came. That's why he came through water and was born in the incarnation. That's why he lived a perfect life, and that's why he died and rose again. You know why? Because you need life. I need life. No matter how good or how bad you are, the truth is we all need life, eternal life. The question is, do you have it? Yunmi Park said this, we tell ourselves stories in order to live. God says, I'll tell you my story, my true story, in order for you to live. You have a choice to make. Which one do you believe? Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around this morning, here are the choices I've made, she said, in order to live. Be honest with you, with yourself this morning, would you, before God, with every head bowed and every eye closed. What are the choices you're making? Your choices reflect your story. You know that, right? Now, you can say all you want about who you are and your relationship with God, but your choices reflect the story that you're telling yourself, that you really believe. One story, the world's stories, is a pack of lies. But God's story, affirmed, and accredited by the Trinity itself is true. And too often, unfortunately, people have believed the lies and have told themselves the wrong story so long in their lives that they practically ruin everything. And maybe that's you. Maybe you're on that road. You're struggling in all kinds of ways. Jesus isn't going to make your better life circumstances better, but he's going to give you a better life, 
A life now and for eternity that will bring him honor and glory. A life that you can know that you're forgiven, that you're right with God. How do I get it? You believe. Oh, not just assenting to a mental fact sheet about him. Oh, no. No, you let him change your life through his death and resurrection. Your belief in what he has done for you to pay for your sins, see, it will transform you. Not make you more religious. Make you more like him. Well, that's salvation. That's what he's saying in, the, in this passage. Do you believe? With every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe there's someone here on the main floor in the balcony this morning, you'd say, Pastor Walker, I've been telling myself the wrong story. And I can see it. I can see the choices I'm making and have made, and I know where I'm at. I see it this morning. Maybe first I see it. It's a lie. I want to believe God is the truth. I want to believe what the Bible says about the death and resurrection of Christ, that he paid the price for my sins, that believing in him and trusting in him is my only hope See, I can have real life. With no one looking around, you say, Pastor Walker, here's my hand. Pray for me as you close today. I need to know God's life through Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's done for me. Here's my hand. Pray for me. Would you do that all over the auditorium? Main floor, balcony. Just put your hand up quickly for a moment and put it down so I can just see you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Anyone else? I need, I'm not just saying I believe Jesus exists. No, this is a commitment of giving him your life. This is believing in him that he died for you and rose again. He is the only way of forgiveness of sins, the only way that you can know real life now and forever. Would anyone else join these ones? Say, Pastor Walker, I need to tell myself God's story, the Bible story, the true story so that I could have life in his name. Anyone else? I'll pray for you too. Just put your hand up and join these ones. Anyone else? In just a moment, I'm going to pray. We're going to sing a song. And I'm going to offer, once in a while we do this here at our church, we give invitations. And if you are here this morning and you raised your hand, or even if you didn't, but you know you needed to, I'm going to invite you to come down and talk to me for a moment. And I'll take, have someone take the Bible and show you today how you can have life. That you can make the choice of putting your faith in Christ in order to live. Walking the aisle will do nothing other than get you from where you are to me. But it will give us the opportunity to have someone show you how you can believe the Son of God and have eternal life. I invite you to come by the grace and love of Christ. Father, we know that you are among us this morning and your Holy Spirit is present working through your word. Only you could critique the thoughts and intents of our hearts. And we pray that even now that you would do what only you can do. That those who have ordained to eternal life might have their eyes opened to see the glory of God in the face of your son Jesus, who died for sinners and rose again, that we might have life. I pray for everyone who raised their hand, indicating that they see that the story they're telling themselves is a lie. Oh God, give them humility. Give them repentance 
brokenness. They might come this morning and we might rejoice with them and the angels of heaven that you have given them eternal life. And we'll ask all these rich blessings in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.